Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll, and it's definitely all about the rock and roll today, starting with Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Duff McKagan's patented and highly anticipated joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Hey, listen, man, I finally beat my blur addiction. Woo-hoo! Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> Another music joke from Duff. I love it. Woohoo! Uh, I like Duff's uh, rock and roll punchlines lately. I just like Duff in general. And I thank him for getting our Memorial Day weekend started with a laugh or a groan, whichever it may be. And AEW's Double or Nothing is this Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern on pay-per-view. You can also stream it on BR Live and Fight.tv. It's the return of the stadium stampede, the inner circle versus the pinnacle. Check it out. Don't forget, if you're listening to this on Friday, Dynamite is tonight at 10 p.m. after the NBA game as we go home to Double or Nothing. It's the go-home show, as we call it, building up to a stadium stampede, which I'm very excited about. It's going to be a lot different from last year. It's going to be just as entertaining, but far more intense, I'd have to say. Uh, so check that out. And another quick plug, Winnipeggers released a new episode last night, just like we do every Thursday at 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern on my Facebook page and YouTube channel. And wait till you see the pictures that go along with this episode. It's all about cable access TV, channel VPW in Canada, and some of the shows we used to watch as kids. This is a, a, a free station that anybody can have a show, so it's uh, quite the grab bag of ridiculousness. If only Wayne's World had been really on a public access channel back in the day, it would have been on VPW. It's the Winnipeggers every Thursday night at 9 p.m. on my Facebook page and YouTube channel. Who's going to be the guest this week? How many laughs are we going to have? It's all there for you. All right, like I said, all about the rock and roll today as we continue on. This one was a long time coming. We made it happen. A lot of cancellations and moving and schedule changes. But Greta Van Fleet makes their talk as Jericho debut. Uh, Singer Josh Kiska and uh, drummer Danny Wagner are here. And their connection in Michigan wasn't that great. Uh, They were talking to me from their manager's office. That happens to be right next to a train track. How can they be one of the hottest rock and roll bands in the world and not have good connection for interviews? You think it would be the number one thing that kids would have these days. But yes, a tequila train rolls by in the middle of our conversation, uh, honks the horn. Their uh, reception's all over the place. Their connection's all over the place. But the stories are great. We had a good time and talk all about how the band came together and what they thought about Robert Plant and Jimmy Page's comments about Greta sounding like Led Zeppelin. We talk about missing high school to go on tour with the Struts. Think about that. Missing high school to go out on a rock and roll tour nationwide. Meeting Dave Grohl for the first time, even though he gave them uh, drinks underage, although it was Canada. Uh, performing with Elton John, who personally invited them on stage. Uh, they tell some stories about opening for Guns N' Roses in Germany as well. And we talk about their killer new album, The Battle at Gardens Gate, which is available wherever you buy and stream music. And the Greta Van Fleet Strange Horizons 2021 headlining tour launches August 5th in Franklin, Tennessee. The guys are doing just a handful of dates this year and hope to really hit the road hard in 2022. Dates and tickets are available at the battle at gardensgate.com. All right, let's do it. Josh and Danny from Greta Van Fleet starting now on Talk is Jericho. It's been a long time coming, but we're finally here. Uh, Greta Van Fleet and Jericho, Danny and Josh from probably one of the uh, busiest bands in America right now with all the press you guys have been doing for your new record. How's it been doing all this uh, work after being off for a freaking year and a half? Good question. I think part of it is like that jumping back in the saddle thing, which feels really good, you know, a little fire in the belly. But it's, I think, I don't know, it's almost like we, it was kind of like a caught off guard thing too, because, you know, it's just like hard to, 
you know, to get any gauge on anything at this point. But yeah, I think it's kind of, I think it's definitely going to be bad. Yeah. Something. Did you guys have the record ready to go for a while? Um, and we're kind of sitting on it until the pandemic started to lighten up a bit. We actually thought we did. We had about 10 songs done prior to the pandemic and then that happened and everything was kind of put on the back burners and on a halt. And we actually wrote two songs during the pandemic that we ended up recording and throwing on the album with all this time. We had, you know, we had a chance to kind of reevaluate and, and put our hands on uh, the work a little bit more. We haven't had time much no. uh, in the past. So no, yes and no. I think the pandemic definitely contributed, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, we've been working on it for almost about two years now. It's like the silver lining, right? I mean, initially we wanted to do 12 tracks and would, we really we're only going to have about time to fit in about 10 tracks, you know, it's like yeah. on and off. So it's just like really uh, stepping off of the stage and into the studio and kind of getting it together. And, and But then, then there was the silver lining is sort of like those extra two tracks we were able to incorporate. I really can't imagine the album without them now. Sort of the DNA is, is laid. It's funny though, because I, I think that's one of the things like, because everybody was taken off the road, like I've never spent so much time at home in years. And I know you guys had just started touring, but you had a busy three, four years too. And like, when you finally get home, you're like, what, what am I supposed to do now? Like what time is bus call? Where, what do I do? So I think now there's going to be a, so many bands going out on the road again. I've been watching every day, all these new tours getting announced, but B there should be a lot of great records getting ready to be released. Cause I think a lot of, like everyone was home just creating. Oh, yeah, definitely. Us included. Yeah, us too. You're definitely yeah. seeing that now it's kind of just a bit of an explosion. There's so much stuff that's coming out or is about to come out. And so it's like the free market of art. It's like almost a little bit intimidating just to see <laughs> this, this work that people have had the time to really hone in on and focus on and create something special. It's going to be like a baby playing music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. A little micro-renaissance or something, but we'll see what happens. You know, uh, it's interesting. It's funny because I know you guys are from a small town in Michigan. It's called Frankenmuth. And I know this town because I remember, uh, I think it's, is it kind of between like Saginaw and Detroit, something around there? Yeah. I remember driving through it, and it must have been during maybe some kind of a festival, like a big German. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, where the f*** am I? Like, I thought that I drove off the road through, like, some Stephen King corn fields, <laughs> and I ended up in Germany or something. It's like, this is crazy. Frankenmuth. This is the greatest place. So is, is that kind of one of the big things of the, of the town where you're from, is the Bavarian element to it? For sure. People come, like, all, all year, um, people come, and it's sort of, always like a festival going on. It's so like every week there's a new festival. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, then they've even got like winter fest, <laughs> these giant, you know, ice sculptures, ice, sculptures and, ice sculptures and snow sculptures and crazy stuff like that. So, yeah, they just kind of like to keep themselves entertained for sure. <laughs> it's interesting though, like talking to you guys, it's very, um, it's cool to see a band, a younger band like you guys suddenly take the world by storm, you know, because it is one of the things where I talk about some promoters, even overseas that do the big download festival, Andy Copping and this thing. It's like, who's going to be kind of the headliners of these festivals, you know, three, four, five, ten years. And obviously Greta's right there in the forefront. But my question is, in this day and age, 
how did you get noticed to get to this point coming from a small town and the way that things have changed as far as A&R for bands developing and all that sort of thing? It's a really tough question. You know, I think part of it is the fact that we are such a live oriented band and mm -hmm. nowadays as opposed to the older days of marketing and music industry, you know, you kind of have to get out and play and that is something right. we love to do. So we played hard and hard and covered all the ground that we could in the shortest amount of time possible, you know, and it was enjoyable. We loved it. Yeah. Um, we kind of made our way around instead of like, you know, Flint and Saginaw and Northward if that if there, but I mean, eventually it would be more Metro Detroit or downtown Detroit on occasion. And that was really kind of, I think the, the first market that we were able to, I mean, the first actual major market to, to go play. And so it was at that point, I think, that there was some interest and we started working in, a, in and out of a studio um, in Royal Oak. And uh, yeah, it was just kind of word of mouth and something happened. But yeah, it definitely was a lot of just live, you know, playing when we could. You know, our friends would go to the movies on the weekends or something and we'd be in a bar or like a... Oh, you know, right. a biker. <laughs> now it's like axes on our hands. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Can't drink. It's good. You know, that's interesting because, I mean, when I was in high school, you know, a thousand years ago, everybody was in a band, right? Like, even if your band wasn't good, there was like, you know, there'd be, you know, there'd be seven drummers, eight guitar players, a couple bass players. But now, like, for my kids, they're 14 and 17, like, nobody really plays in bands. So for you guys, I mean, I know you're in your early 20s as well. When you were in high school, was there other people playing in bands or was it, was it just based on you guys? We came from a really small high school too. So like taking that into consideration, there really were no, I think there was maybe one angst and yeah, there was a couple, I would say maybe one or two other uh, local bands that kind of were, you know, doing it as more of a entertainment and talent mm. to do it. But I would honestly say that we were one of the only ones that were really, like Josh was saying, um, you know, every weekend we were in a bar and, and playing and, you know, <laughs> was a little bit. Yeah, and it's almost a little different now with, I mean, after uh, we kind of broke out, going back to flanking with they've got, I mean, they're bringing in so much more variety of music and so true. many more people there started making it's kind of crazy to see after you guys yeah, yeah. ah they're following the footsteps right <laughs> it's kind of crazy. the younger generation <laughs> the younger generation those teens yeah. <laughs> um you know it's it's funny too because like i said um i think it was like highway song just kind of burst right out right off the bat and you guys had a great push right off the bat so it almost seems like i don't know what record company you're on but they must have really saw something in greta to really push you guys because in this day and age it's hard to get on the radio for example that's that's rarefied air but if you can really if you can really uh, hook onto it there it creates this giant buzz which is what you guys had did did you have right from the start a great team behind you and, and the record company behind you to really want to get you guys this this place on the radio i think once the actual finished highway tune track did come out yes but i think it took almost that song for, for all of that to follow. We had initially recorded that track, I don't know, what was it like? It was, uh, I was a senior, it was 2017. Wow. And so there was local, I mean, we had, I don't know, somehow gotten it out into this uh, local radio, like, you know, Flint or Saginaw, it would be 
playing, you know. The banana. Isn't that Flint, the banana? Yeah. yeah. So, like, the rock stations would, were actually playing that original recording. And then I think something happened. And we went to uh, Nashville. And uh, then all of a sudden there's, there's you know, Snowballing. lawyers and agents and, and managers and so on and so forth. And so we went and recorded the first EP, incorporated that song, mm-hmm. and released that as the single. And, yeah, then kind of just everything exploded. But having that support is so... Oh, yeah. Artist, that artistic freedom, you know, and that was something that really made us nervous at the very beginning because you hear so much and now we have the access to all the documentaries and, you know, how it goes yeah. in so many different ways. When we met with Jason from Lava Records... Was it Jason Flom? Yeah, it's Jason Flom. Well, that's the famous... Well, let me just explain for people that know. This is the legendary Jason Flom that signed, like, almost every big band from the 80s until... Greta Van Fleet in 2018 or whatever it was. Yeah. So, yeah. Was, we sent him a few songs before they were even out, and he offered to sign us without even having met us, which was or seen us, seen us live. Wow. So we were like, well, let's, let's meet, you know. First. <laughs> so, they, yeah, it was, it was good. He, had, he signed uh, pretty quick. It was great. But, yeah, we were adamant about, you know, in every step of the way, having you know, our creative freedom and being able to release records when we were ready to do that and the, i mean obviously pretty prolific so it doesn't seem to be but like already we're the next one um so, <laughs> but uh, yeah so that's been really important i think that that's kind of one of those things that are integral to the band and the, the way the band functions it's kind of everything yeah so i think that, that you know well that's important for every artist you don't have that control I and mean, then i think it's one of those sort of scenarios where the, the label will take a person and then and then Get a big room of writers and then kind of piece it all together in some kind of More than like clay. And then it kind of almost <laughs> a little contrived. It can be a bit like a conveyor belt or, or it kind of feels manufactured. But yeah, it's just, I think if it's honest and organic, that's, that's everything. How was it for you guys too? Like you mentioned just out of high school and, and I know you're with, with your two brothers, so kind of a family from the small town. Did it blow your mind when you're going to Nashville or, or, you know, winning a Grammy a year and a half into your existence and all these sort of things? Were you able to handle that cool? Or do you start like, you know, wearing sunglasses and berets and having cigarettes on long holders and Chardonnay or (laughs) the latter? No, No. this interview is over. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's been like, I don't know. We've been. Ha- I guess we just have had a lot of fun with, with it every step of the way. You know, like I say, every time I start to feel myself slipping away from the, the foundation or being present, then it's like, then it, then you could re- you realize you could be totally miserable, and that. It's so I think it's just kind of floating back to not taking everything so damn seriously, and and appreciating everything along the way. So, you know, mm-hmm. sort of like there's so much to be grateful for as far as having had so much success. And having, you know, um, been given, you know, uh, of course, accommodations for it, or that people are respect your work or appreciate what you do uh, artistically. So that, that I think has been kind of the way we, I guess we've, we've gone about all of that. All of that. So. How about for you, Danny? Was there some moments where you were like, holy shit, like we're in the big leagues now? Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, they like, happened quicker than I would expect. And it was, I always said it was like the longest, shortest period of time in my entire life. Those last, you know, those four integral years of kind of escalating to what we are, where we're at now. Um, 
it was weird. Uh, I think one of the first moments was, you know, when I was graduating high school and our first tour was <laughs> while I was still in high school. Sam and I are both the same age. He and I were in the same class. So he and I missed like 10 days of school to go on our first tour with the Struts. And that was kind of, you know, it felt really, really freaking sweet. <laughs> yeah, were you, was it, you, there was a prom? I had I had never been to prom. Neither of us had any interest in really Sam and I going to prom. So that wasn't a big deal, but school made a big deal about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so huge though, Matt, because I remember, like I said, my high school band was called Scimitar, like a sword. Yeah. Um, and of course, the T in the logo was the actual Scimitar. And I remember being in high school, it's like, dude, like we're going to, we're going to graduate and go straight on tour and tour the world. And of course it didn't work out, but for you guys, it actually did like you missed your senior prom. Cause you're on tour, like with the struts, who's another great younger band who's just killing it. But that's, that's pretty rare, man. Like, that's really, really cool shit. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, our parents were like, yeah, this, this doesn't happen. Go for it. Have fun. <laughs> yeah, do it. <laughs> How was that for you, Josh? Cause you're in a band with your brothers. Um, are you, are you the youngest, oldest, middle? Yeah, I'm the oldest. And I know. Okay. So, uh, I, I make sure that they're very aware of that every day. So. Yeah, they they all have to listen to you now. But no, yeah, it's uh, the one thing I I think is really helpful is that you can be pretty blunt, you know, and say it how you mean it, and uh, get to the point as far as you know conflict is concerned. That there is conflict from time to time, like New Yorkers. You just factual, get it out. Yeah, so we no bullshit. We kind of exactly, and so. I guess, you know, for the most part, we get along with it. I think really the conflict comes in, you know, writing or recording, so like throwing things across the room, and it's just not like, you know, and it's sort of, everybody's got their, their different perspective on, on the song or whatever. But yeah, no, I think that something happens, you can kind of non-verbally communicate, you know, you've grown up together, and I mean, Daniel, we've known for, for quite a long time. Too um, long. Yeah, too he's the most reasonable person in the band. That's that's the logical thing to say. Too. <laughs> wow. You'll always be the new guy, though, man. You guys will be 40 years down the line. You'll still be the new guy, Danny. <laughs> that's all right. No, so is Ringo. It's right. Still is. Still is. But, yeah, no, I think it, the, the, it kind of does something, um, especially when you're playing. It's, it's like you know where they're going or what's going to happen, and it totally is going to be different each night or – Whenever we're playing over all, all of these tracks, it continues. There's always segues, and, and so yeah, I think we kind of like are pretty good about you know just hearing the other one and knowing what's going to happen. So. Yeah, it's definitely helpful in the sense of a bilingual and uh, yeah, 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 the language of music. That's right. Oh, I was going to bilingual the language of music. Yeah. That's that's a uh, that's a good quote there. It's funny too because like you mentioned, brothers have kind of an un written connection to each other but the track record of brothers and bands are either amazing like the, like the van halen brothers and, and Vinny and dime from pantera and then you get kind of the the gallagher's and and ray davies and dave davies and the the uh, r- 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 uh what's rich robin rich chris and rich robinson who beat fighting on stage and all this other stuff so you you've avoided that side of the of the uh conflict Hopefully. Yeah, I think so. For the most part, we don't. It doesn't go that far. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think we're in the clear, but we'll see. They still want to get that irrelevant and temperamental and all of that stuff. So you haven't reached your uh, caviar and 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 champagne era yet. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about your influences because you guys are young guys, like I said, and the first thing obviously you've heard a million times before is that Greta Van Fleet, 
has this Zeppelin type of vibe to it. Some people think that's a death sentence. It's the worst thing you can do. Other people like me think it's great. There is a little bit of a Zeppelin vibe to it, but there's a little bit of an ACDC vibe to Airborne. There's a little bit of a Queen vibe to the Struts. You know, there's, it doesn't really matter what the vibe comes from, but you do have that sort of a sound, kind of an early 70s vibe to you in a lot of different ways. Yeah, you know, I, I always uh, tell people in that, you know, bring that up. It's, it's like, how long ago was it since a band went into the studio and played in a room live to tape and right. recorded it that way? You know, are using 100% real instruments and real takes without any, you know, fudging around and everything. Well, yeah, it was you could probably date it back to the seventies. No, no shit. We sound like that. <laughs> yeah. I guess, yeah, there's a certain similarity in approach. I mean, yeah, but as far as influences go, I mean, there's pretty all over the all, place. Yeah. Eclectic really. I mean, for Sam, Jake and I, we kind of, I mean, my father had a pretty big collection of music and, um, you know, I was like vinyls, cassettes, all of that stuff, CDs, but it was, um, he, he did, um, kind of inherited a lot of stuff from my, my grandparents. Um, like we were listening to stuff like Sinatra or big bands or, uh, even as strange instrumental albums from the sixties. And, and so we're doing crazy exotic world music kind of stuff. So we turned out of that, but you know, it was kind of Jake who's really the big, you know, rock and roll guy I and mean, that's that's where he was coming from so so that's that's where kind of like Zeppelin or, or Jethro Tull or Hendrix, Hendrix you know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but a lot of blues stuff a lot of really roots blues stuff you know like um, Holland Wolf or Willie Dixon and, and that kind of stuff so yeah and then some some roots folk stuff and even you know some 70s folk stuff there's a tequila train yeah. and, uh, i've seen that this is where every time the train goes by you have to drink a shot of tequila right yeah so yeah it's kind of really a mix of stuff it's listening to a lot of songs What you don't know is uh, is Josh, uh, there's no train. He's just swearing a lot. Yeah. And that's just what I have to push to mute the swearing. It's good. I, I caught on fine, kind of midway. It just went into a whole mess of pain over here. Is this like your house that you're at right now with that train? No, this is the no. management office. I don't know what the hell they Okay. It's like the Blues Brothers. You'll never get any sleep because <laughs> you sleep right by the train track. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel, you kind of... Nah, yeah. He, I, my father brought me up on a lot of rock and roll and he actually brought me up on kind of everything um like steely dan mm. you know jazz a lot of more prog and uh rush and you know that whole scene but interestingly enough my mom actually brought me up on uh like peter paul and mary and simon and garfunkel and you know that whole sort of folk scene um john denver john denver <laughs> i can't believe i left him out probably the single biggest artist i listened to growing up my mom really was all over the place and that and the, he inspired me to play guitar um which was my first instrument aside from drums and you know i kind of got me into the whole music scene hmm. in a way was the guitar we're kind of i don't know maybe you could call it like closet fans of john denver but i remember david, david brought to the table something acoustic it was a demo he was just recording he's like what do you think of this i'm like i think it sounds exactly like a john denver song 
just to mock him, I decided to put the John Denver vocal on it and, and just sort of all the John Denver cliche lyric stuff. And uh, I would call it Ode to Johnny and it just turned into a thing. <laughs> that would have been great if like, if like if the first EP and the first album, people said you sounded like Zeppelin. So then you make the next record, you just sound exactly like John Denver. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what are you talking about? I remember we were in some like red carpet situation and some, I don't know, radio festival thing. And I, I, there was a, some guy asked, you know, uh, what's, what's some of your influences, you know, vocally and everything. I'm like, well, I, John Denver, I listened to a lot of John Denver. And he was so pissed off at me. He was like, oh, my, really, what, what really is your actual influence? Like John Denver, he was so pissed. He was hilarious. Some people hate that. Like in our band, we have a big like like funk, yacht rock influence on in our band. You know, like "Baby Come Back" and those type of tunes. And people don't want to hear that from a metal band. It's like you can't listen to just heavy metal all the time. And those bands have such great hooks and melodies. And like you mentioned, everybody sang back in those days. Like if there was five dudes, the drummers even got the microphone right beside them and everything. Like that's just how it was, right? Yeah, yeah. totally. Totally, yes. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of like, it's this funny thing, you know, everybody thinks, you know, you're in a rock and roll band. I'm sure you listen to a lot of rock and roll. Yeah, we listen to a lot of rock and roll. I mean, we've heard shitload of rock and roll stuff, but that's not all that we're listening to. That's like, what do you like? I don't think anybody making rock and roll would just listen to rock and roll. It's just, you know, there's, there's other stuff, too. And that's where rock and roll gets off, I think. It's just like a, such an elastic genre. It's a melting Great point. Melting pot. So yeah. many different genres. Yeah, that's a great point, man. Especially when you talk about a lot of the bands. If you talk about Beatles or Zeppelin or you know Hendrix, there's so many different styles of music that those guys played. Because rock and roll, there is no rules. No, no, <laughs> no. You know, I think too. It's like also too as a singer, like you sing the way you sing. Like for me, I always had a little bit of an Aussie twinge. You know, I, I can sound completely like Aussie if I really go all the way. Like you really put on like a Canadian accent if you're really. Hey, man, how's it going? Hey. <laughs> and probably for you, if you wanted to go super Robert Plant, you probably could nail it. But your style is just your style. Yeah, there's a little plant in there, but there's like you mentioned, I, I hear a little bit of Naughty Holder from Slade. If you ever hip to them, just good, powerful rock singers, right? Yeah, no, I, I was really seeing more blues kind of stuff. And it was my, right, and I heard Aretha Franklin, and it was like, why am I not doing that? <laughs> <You know? laughs> <laughs> it was sort of like, oh, wow, I can do this higher register stuff. Actually, I can access a lot more nuances up here. And so I just kind of threw that on. And, you know, obviously Robert Plant I've, I've been listening to, but I think it was sort of a, wow, I, it kind of sounds like me in a way. Mm -hmm. Like there's some sort of sort of gritty, nasally thing going on. It was like, That's your wheelhouse, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think it was, it was a bit of that, but you're right. I, could definitely, I mean, we make you know, when we're doing soundtracks, sometimes you have a bunch of people that manage to get in or something, and they go, then we'll just do like an immigrant song, and then just kind of be like, oh, what's going on? I knew it. I knew it. That's what yeah, yeah. I think I read somewhere too that, that Robert Plant and Jimmy Page actually gave you guys a compliment or something along those lines, didn't they? Didn't they talk about Greta? Yeah, something like that. It was some sort of interview that he was doing, and uh, the interviewer asked him, it was Robert. Yeah, it wasn't Jimmy Page. It was just Robert. And he just asked him a little bit. And he had heard of us. And honestly, that's about it. as much as of a compliment he needed. I never really watched any of it. I just heard it through the great song. funny. Still cool. You know, yeah, yeah, very cool. Yeah. Um, it was, yeah, he, he was very sweet and, and made some really nice comments. But the first thing was, you know, a bit of that 
I guess, kind of cheeky Robert Plant humor. They, they kind of got. So, what do you think? You know, there's a bunch of new bands coming out. And what do you What have you been listening to? Have you heard Greta Van Fleet? What do you think of Greta Van Fleet? You guys, oh, I hate them. <laughs> yeah, you know who he's talking about when he, when, when he says, oh, I hate him, you know. But it was a good chest, you know. Yeah. All right, before we get back to Greta Van Fleet, don't forget the new Fozzie single, Sane, is out today on Spotify, iTunes, Deezer, all over the place, uh, streaming wherever you get music. So go check that out. It debuted on uh, Octane a few days ago, and people are raving about it. So I want to hear what you have to say, and I want to hear more from Greta Van Fleet as well. Here we go. Let's talk about some of the touring that you guys have done, because you mentioned you had some, some big tours right out of the gate. And we were actually in Australia... In 2018, I think you guys were there at the same time, and we were playing like I don't know some place. It was a pretty cool place, whatever. And I said, "Where's Greta Van Fleet playing tonight, or whenever it was?" Oh, they're playing like the Enormo Dome. Like they're playing in front of like 12,000 people. It's like, wow, really? Like right out of the gate, worldwide, you guys had this huge fan base. Um, what a great place to be in. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think that's probably our ideal venue size. You know, I. Any larger than that, you start to lose things. The sound it sounds like shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. love a good theater, film more size type. Yeah, I guess unless right. there's a roof on the place, you're probably a little better off. I don't know. True. Uh, similar for all of that sound escape. Yeah, no, it was crazy. We really did a couple of um, clubs, you know, in, in you know, kind of key markets just around, you know, and um, I mean, it was just like. Uh, maybe the end of the first year of touring, you were seeing pretty big venues. And then certainly by 2018, yeah, it was kind of crazy stuff. And so I, I don't know. I guess we kind of like just, it seemed that we just adapt because it's like sink or swim, you know, and we're like kind of in it, you know, for the long haul. So it's like, yeah, let's jump in. Let's go take the ride. It's a, bit, it's a bit amazing to see a wall of people and you're communicating to all of those people at one time. Right. Wow. And then they become almost like some kind of unified force. And it's like you do one thing and it's just like electric. It travels all the way back. It's one living, breathing, moving monster. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you guys first started, b- besides the stress, did you do other shows where you're uh, the opening act on the tour? Um, ironically, no. Not, that was our own tour that we went, you know, along and, and served as that opening position. And then we started doing those little club shows, you know, going around the East Coast by the end of that summer after that senior year for me. And then after that, we were just starting, you know, our own tours and little venues working up. And yeah. we had never really, we did, you know, every once in a while you're opening at a festival or something like that. And it, or the one-offs, yeah, because we did some shows with uh, Guns and Roses. At some yeah. Point too, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah over in Germany. How was that? You you talking about the stadium shows with, with, where you guys opened it? They were massive shows. They were uh, they were huge. Yeah. And it was actually the first time that they were stadiums. Yeah, no, they were <laughs> undeniable. It was crazy. It was the first time they had um, been playing in a long time. Um, it was a few years back, and you know it was just funny. It was it's like just riding, like getting back into the game again. Axel was was kind of. Uh, <laughs> 
thing, actually. Being yeah. We'd <laughs> be out and watching them, you know, after they, we, we, we finished up, we like get to the front of house to see the show, you know. I don't know. I can't remember Axel saying, "Oh, sorry, everybody. You sound like shit." You know, something like. I mean, he was just off <laughs> technical like, problems. Yeah, yeah, at himself, I think, just because he's having trouble. But I don't know. It was like, yeah, kind of crazy. But that was that was quite fun. But yeah, no, I think for the most part, we we kind of jump right into headlining stuff. How is that for you guys, though, when you're talking about playing these fairly big rooms on your own, and then you show up at the stadium opening for Guns and Roses? I mean, that kind of. That that's that kind of puts you in your place a little bit. Kind of realizing like we're big, but this is different level shit, right? Totally, yeah. And um, it is really. I mean, it's we were pretty well received. I mean, when we came out, yeah, I can see that. You know, people were hearing what we were doing and really getting into it, and, and so it wasn't so. Are they going to like this? I mean, it's Guns and Roses. Are they going to take this out? Exactly. That's right. So they really got into it. So I think, yeah, it's sort of. <laughs> yeah, you're looking around going, yeah, this is the I had the headline this stage. I don't know. We're right back to being, you know, early 20s kids from Frankenmuth, uh, <laughs> Michigan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we opened for Iron Maiden right before the lockdown at the end of 2019. It was kind of the same thing. Like, you go and it's an Iron Maiden, you walk past the giant case with like an Eddie head in it, and there's like a big war plane that has to blow up with the helium, and you're kind of like, this is not Kansas anymore. Yeah, you know? <laughs> so let's talk a little bit before your new album as we, as we start to wind down a little bit, uh, the battle at garden gate, these songs seem a lot, well not seem, they're much more epic than a safari song or, or lover leave or something like that. It's very, very involved and it's very cool, but it's a little bit of a different style. Yeah. It's kind of, I assume it's, how would you describe it? I mean, it's more like that. It's not a more epic scope, but it's a little bit more cinematic, maybe. But good point. Yeah. There's a little bit more patience in the writing as well. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't, and a lot of the songs came from tour. A lot of the songs uh, were written in a live setting, so they kind of just, you know, and we went about recording the album live, so they kind of had this certain energy to them that a lot of uh, our other work didn't quite have in that sort of way. So you recorded it all kind of in a room together, sort of thing, or yeah, to get the to get the tracks and that's cool. Click tracks and you know just free, you know, spend weeks if you, you need to to get a track down and and you know that's that sort. Of, we came out of it, uh, this album better musicians than we went into it for sure. Yeah, and we're very excited to start recording this album. I mean, yeah, it's something we wanted to do for a long time, but obviously it would be different if we recorded this album years ago, but. It's, I think, something that we wanted to show people that was an, another element to this band that we haven't really shown them in record form yet. You know, this is more of what you would hear if you're at the live shows. But it, it is kind of there's a little bit more balance and it can take its time. But then you've got like firecrackers like uh, My Way Soon, Bill yeah. yeah. And I mean, partial, partially, the, the logic behind even calling it My Way Soon is a bit of a sidestep is because there's like Highway 10, oh, My Way Soon. I mean, that would just be a <laughs> ridiculous thing because it was, We're back. It, just, it was like the first thing that we released after taking some time to record. And, and um, it was the first single, just like that was the first single. And it in a lot of ways acted that way. So we thought it would be kind of like a, a little bit of a dry, dry humor or something. You know? Yeah, I get it. No, it, it, like I said, it was really cool because it shows the maturity of a band too. And you never want to use the word mature when you're talking about a rock and roll, but there really is, you can see, cause some bands, they always say you have your whole life to write your first album. And like, 
you know, 18 months to write your second one. Yeah. And the second one sometimes isn't as good as the first one for that reason. But this, you guys, you guys made that. So by going kind of a little bit more in a cinematic way, like you said, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, we just, we kind of nonstop write and, uh, an idea of, I mean, as far as a song is concerned, it can come from any, any one of us. It's kind of, there's an initial thing that somebody brings to the table. And then we start evolving it together, you know, but, and then that just happens constantly. So, it's, I mean, it, but with this album, just like many of our, our other work, much like our other work, there was this kind of like songs that were written five years ago, songs that were written in the studio, which isn't really particularly common for us. We usually are ready when we get into the studio, because if we're not in the studio or on the stage, and so it's like, all right, we don't have time to, to pop, but. This this particular album, we, we took a little bit more time in the studio, maybe things a little more technical, technically, and, and, and that kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah, some of it was like written like right there, and some of it was was kind of uh, from another time. But, we are always writing. Some of it didn't make the record. Some right. of it came from years ago, and some of it was written, and we'll maybe see again in, in years to come. Yeah. Who knows? It's yeah, right. Well, hopefully, we can keep that momentum. I don't know. There is still that, you know. Fat and relevant thing. Just, uh, I'm waiting for that. <laughs> That'll be the title of the next album. That should be good too. Yeah. 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 Fat and relevant. They won't see that. <laughs> well, exactly right. <laughs> so, and obviously, the, the biggest thrill when you do a record is going out and playing it live, right? So, what are are the plans for you guys as far as getting back out there? Because, like I mentioned. We knew this was going to happen. All it took was one or two bands to start announcing tours. And every day now, I'm just reading this band's going out. This band's going out. Do you guys have any plans at all? Definitely. You know, as soon as possible. And it's it's funny. This album, the songs on these on this album deserve to live on a stage. I feel like. mm-hmm. And it, it's kind of a double edged sword in the sense that you, we haven't had a chance to play. You know, so it's a bummer. We're super excited to play the new material, but at the same time, it's like now at least the the listener has a chance to kind of take in what they're hearing. And then by the time we do get out and play, they're hopefully a little more aware, you know, and, and then perceiving it in a live situation is, is very different than putting cans on and listening to it or a record player. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a few shows, one-offs lined up, hopefully end of summer into the fall. We're going to start playing a lot more shows. Uh, touring, I think will be beginning of 2022 for us, uh, full scale. Gotcha. Well, that's the thing too, because you guys are playing bigger rooms as well, so it's probably better to wait a little bit longer. Yeah, that's kind of the logic. And I mean, it was sort of—I mean, we'd had so many dates, theoretical dates that kept changing. <laughs> you know, the last still year are still changing. So I don't think it's been you know, a bit of a shit fest, but I think we'll get back to it. You know, and I don't know. Obviously, it's going to be really strange I mean, to actually like have a two, an album that's come out and not be touring the album. It's sort of yeah. it's weird. We're not playing them live. I mean, honestly, we've been playing them live, but not to people. So not to people, yeah. I felt it was so weird that, and I guess sometimes you just have to release it when it's ready. But so many bands put did put records out during the pandemic. Even ACDC, Power Up, right behind me, great record. And I thought, well, they must know something that no one else knows. The pandemic must be ready to be done. Like I'm sure the world leaders are calling Angus Young and telling him the secrets, which is why they released it when they did. But I mean, I guess they play in a little bit of a different playing field, ACDC, and they can put out a record when they want. But not to be able to tour, it seems so strange. Yeah, it definitely is. And we miss it dearly. It's, it's our existence. Yeah, you know? oh, totally. Yeah. And it's always known to do in the last 
five right. yeah. so it's a bit of a shock and all of a sudden we have to get used to this domesticity right there you go reevaluate domestication let's get out of here just what that into the troubadours you know? yeah <laughs> last few questions for you who are some of the uh coolest people that you met on tour did some some of your heroes show up to see you guys that sort of a thing sir elton john yeah that's a big one yeah wow that, that's yeah that's a big one tell us about elton john wild thing it's sort of like first i mean i guess it's more of a friendship now and it's what it's just sort of like a rapport at, at some point but we had gotten a call when we were in the studio in detroit from a manager and he said uh, Elton John would like to talk to you guys tomorrow. Uh, he's going to call uh, call you and uh, <laughs> okay. He wants to talk to you, not through us. Yeah, all right. So, so yeah, so he, he got on the phone. And he said, "Hello, boys, it's Elton." And then there was like ten seconds, which felt like ten minutes of silence. Everybody's waiting for somebody else to talk. You know, it's like what do you say? You know, but it was um, yeah. So he had invited us to uh, play his um, uh, his Oscar. Uh, it was Oscar party, right? Yeah. yeah. Post party, right? Yeah. Which just so, happened. This it year. did, yeah. yeah. So we went and did that, and he got on stage and played. Uh, we played one of his uh, Saturday nights, all right, uh, with him. And then he played one of our tracks, you know. Uh, so we did one of his, one of ours, and, and that was pretty amazing. It's sort of a pain. And then he came out to the London show, too. Exactly, yeah. Point. Really cool. Yeah, he was in London and came to a show, and there and then I think we were flying back. He was doing a show in Grand Rapids, Michigan, right? And we were flying in and, and just managed to. I mean, we we didn't get to see him before. We just got there in time for to see the, the show from the start. But damn damn well, he saw he saw us in the audience and then made it like a, a, a shout out. It was just crazy. Then we went back afterwards. But so it's just been this like it's this very strange relationship with a person that you've known your entire life, but never would imagine that you would ever brush shoulders with. Hard to talk to him. You know, really kind of what did he say to you when you guys were talking to him on the phone? You know, he, he reached out and he, he said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of you guys and I really like what you're doing. You could sense that sort of organic, you know, rock and roll. He, he liked the music. Um, and, you know, he essentially asked if we'd like to come out and play the show. And he said, if, you know, if we accept, would you like to play a song with uh, with me, perform with me, and, you know, and see, we were all, I don't even remember the entirety of the conversation. I wasn't really yeah, there. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there's been a lot of good, uh, I mean, people that have come into our lives. Dave Grohl is another, you know, love, gotta love Dave. He's just gonna, he's, he's David, you know, but it's sort of, yeah, I, I, the first time we ever met Dave, there was a show in Quebec City, and we were opening for the, the Foo Fighters, right? And, uh, well, all of those guys are great, you know. But um, yeah, he just decided to run on uh, onto uh, onto our, our bus. You know, took a guess we had just finished, I think, we finished the show or something. Or no, it was before, it was we, just went before we went on. Yeah, and so he came up with he came on with a bunch of Jaeger, and uh, and so he just got you know taking shots and and, and uh, <laughs> just kind of talking about the strangest shit. But then we we. Uh, <laughs> Later, it, we we would do it. So uh, we did the album, this the Battle of Gardens Gate with Greg Kirsten. He's done stuff with Foo Fighters, and so we were recording in L.A. And Greg and Dave were doing a show um, with the together, Bird Bird, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. And um, so it was there that Dave started telling the story about 
that or, or um, following up with the, the, him fall, walking onto the bus with the Jaeger thing. He was like, yeah, was, and his mother was there and it's kind of described, ex- explaining this to his mother. And he goes, yeah, so I was reading an article in Rolling Stone about Greta Van Fleet. And like, yeah, I know Greta Van Fleet. And then I saw their ages and thought, I'm you know, I'm and, going then, to <laughs> and then he thought, "Oh, but wait, it's Canada; it's legal." It's all <laughs> right, <Canada>. right. <laughs> I uh, just going back to Elton quickly. We uh, recorded a record in Atlanta, a place called Tree Studio, and Elton was recording there as well. He had the giant studio downstairs. We were in the closet in the fifth floor, and one day I was always like, well, "I wonder if I'll ever see him." And I saw him. I saw a black SUV pull out. This big dude get out and then opens the back door and little Elton with his sweatsuit on, kind of little pudgy guy. Oh, yeah. He starts running the studio. So I run as fast as I can to get down there in time. And I, I, I just missed it. The door closed. I couldn't get in. Um, and a couple seconds later, his guy comes out and goes to me. He goes, what's the address of the studio? And I said, I'm not really too sure why. He goes, well, Elton's hairdresser needs to know. And I said, Elton's hairdresser, is he doing a video shoot? And he goes, no, he just likes having his hair styled before every recording session. <laughs> and I was like, that's fucking Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> He's just recording with no video. He just, but he has to have his hair styled. So I'm like, that's rock and roll right there. That is very rock and roll. <laughs> Last question for you guys. What's your favorite song on the new record? And what's your favorite song to play live? These songs are our babies. It's like picking a favorite. I know. What's your favorite child? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. That's really tough. It kind of changes. It know? does. It really does. It, it depends on the day. It depends on what time. depends on the day, right? Yeah. I really like uh, uh, Stardust Chords, actually. It's one of my favorites. And I can't even really explain why. There's something about the evolution of it, you know, writing that we rip was written on stage on tour it brought to the studio and it was this really long song and then it got condensed down into this you know and adding parts and the rest of it was written in the studio it was just a really great personal experience for me and it turned out really cinematic i think sums up this cinematic aspect of the album yeah cinematic aspect tears of rain was one of my favorite tears of rain and then I can't let go of uh, Trip the Light, fantastic. Yeah, that's, that was a fun one. Quite like that. And then, of course, oh, then there's Caravelle and the Barbarians, which is were written pretty close together. That Those are the two songs that we had written in uh, 2020. Um, the Youngest Babies. And then Like My Love. I, I, I quite like that one as well. I like Built by Nations. That's my favorite for today. Yeah, that was that's a good one. Yeah. How about Live? Which one gets you going? Oh, man. Um, Weight of Dreams. Definitely, you know, I'm not. There's not a whole lot for you to do in that song, so I. I nah, just you know, more screaming. But I burned really probably four thousand calories in that song, so it's it gets better. Yeah, yeah. Like three fourths of the song is a guitar solo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, That's yeah. the musician's song. I know. I know. Let Jake forget that. It's sort of like, all right, I might just go get a side stage and so like read read some articles uh, in the in the. <laughs> Do some crossword puzzles, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, but yeah, no, I, I think I mean they're all really all of these tracks are. It's a ton of fun to play live, but I probably Caravel is my favorite live as of now. Mm-hmm. Once you get to play in front of people, yeah, yeah could change, yeah. could change very much. Yeah, very much. So. Well, dudes, it's great to finally talk to you, man. It's great to uh, virtually meet you, and hopefully, uh, we'll see you down the road. Yeah. 
at a gig or at a festival or whatever it may be, man. Yeah, I bet, I bet we will. Sooner than later. So congratulations. It's great to see uh see youngsters out there getting ready to rock it. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thank you. Cheers, brother.